Welcome to the Good Divorce Show. Not every divorce needs to end in disaster. It's time to see divorce in another perspective. Here to help with that is your host, Karen McNinney. Hello, thank you so much for joining me today. I am excited to be in conversation with Sarah Armstrong. And I got to just say as a preface, when my truth came to mind that I was going to be leaving my marriage. Our marriage was complete. And I I literally walked into a Barnes and Noble and I looked through all of the bookshelf on divorce. And there was not much there that was inspiring to me 12, 13 years ago. And what I wanted was a guidebook. I just, it's not just how to get divorced. It's how am I going to be divorced? What are what are the logistics, the little micro moments that have happen every day? I thought that's the book I need. And then I thought, well, maybe someday I'll have to write it. Well, thank goodness Sarah Armstrong came along and has taken me off the hook and has written the book herself, The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. When she is not busy being an advocate for the good divorce, she is also very involved and vice president of global marketing operations at Google the proud mama of Grace, who was seven years old when Sarah divorced. But this fall, Grace will enter her junior year in college and is doing very well, very successful. Sarah continues to act as mentor to other women and families. Sarah is a mentor to other women as well as men um, and a longtime volunteer at various nonprofit organizations, including the Jack and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation, Georgetown Alumni Admissions Program and Soup Kitchens. And she loves traveling the world and has been fortunate to visit more than 55 countries. Uh, she also enjoys exploring new cities with her daughter whenever possible and is currently, we find her this morning in San Francisco. Hello, Sarah Armstrong. Hello, Karen. So great to be with you today. Yes, we are kindred spirits in our pursuit. Even just putting these two words together, good divorce, makes people kind of raise their eyebrows and go, what? Exactly. Does that mean you want everyone to go out and get divorced? Not at all. Not at all. And I actually like to start by saying I'm not an advocate for divorce. I actually think that couples that get married should stay happily together for the long term. You know, that's, that is the goal when you get married. But Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And these days, divorce is more common than ever. And one of the things that I've reflected on over the years is, you know, no one gets married to get divorced, right? And generally, no one's getting divorced for positive reasons. There's been some reason that has led you to that decision. But, right. you know, right? but the children um, that are involved don't get to make the decision whether their parents are going to get divorced, but their lives are the most significantly impacted by that decision. And so that, right. that, from my standpoint, is where um, the focus of, you know, what this book is about and what my efforts are about is just helping moms and families um, think about how to do this so you could actually come out with a good divorce. That's right. And and even though the title says The Mom's Guide, um, we're talking to you, dads. Yes. This is a joint effort. Mm-hmm. I find the best results in my client work come when I can work with both parents. And and whether we're in a same-sex couple or not, or a non-gender conforming couple, we're just talking about two parents who've come together 
and are raising a family. So we're speaking to all of you today to find some really specific guidelines and tips. And and it is indeed a guidebook. Before we dive into the content of the book and part of your story, um, give us a little background of how this book came to pass. First of all, when I I got divorced, I was the first of my friends um, to go through this. And um, actually, interestingly, when you talked about books being given to you, I was given a lot of books that were so thick and dense, and I, and I literally would open them, close them, and set them aside and never touch them. And over the years after I got divorced, I had a number of friends that then wanted to potentially explore that. And so we sat down and they said, would you help me to think about this because you have such a good divorce? And so I would help them through their process. Again, not be an advocate for them doing it. They had to have come and said, I decided this, and then I would help them. And at the end, they all said, you should really write this down. And I thought, well, I'm not a writer. Actually, Grace, my daughter, is really the beautiful writer in the family. So I said, oh, I'm not a writer. Well, I was at a business dinner in Mexico City you know, with a group of colleagues. And a, a good friend a good friend and colleague of mine turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah, I'm really happy. He said, but you're divorced. <laughs> and I looked at him and I go, Salman, getting divorced is not a death sentence. I said, my ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. Like, I'm happy. Grace is happy. Max husband's happy. I said, we're all happy. And I mentioned that, you know, some people had been, my friends had been encouraging me to write down the guidance. And uh, he said, you really should. So the next morning I was flying out of Mexico city and I opened up my laptop. And the first line I wrote was this book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce. who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. Yeah. Well, thank goodness there was a moment in Mexico <laughs> to stir and bring this to the page. Yes. And it's not a death sentence. Listeners, we're here to tell you. The irony is that generally speaking, we get divorced to improve the relationship of the parents. That is why we're doing If you want it to get worse, just stay in your crappy marriage. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. And you know, there's not enough conversation, Karen, in society about the topic of a good divorce and like the fact that, you know, the choice to put your children in a healthier environment, which is what a good divorce is all about, That's is, right. is, is the goal. You know, that is the goal of this whole thing. And to your point, if you two can't coexist within one household, there are ways to coexist in, or to, to exist in different households, to co-parent together and to have both you and your children all live the healthiest, happiest life possible. Very vibrant. Wonderful. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And we are always highlighting and inviting people to come on the show and tell those stories. And it's very exciting when we have couples um, who are no longer married, but very much still in relationship. Because if you share kids, the family's not ending. You're just renovating. (laughs) It's a new structure. It's a new structure. structure. Yeah. And it's interesting, Karen, because Grace is the one that coined the term good divorce. Oh, so we were, we were standing at a CBS about to check out and there was a people magazine on the newsstand by the checkout and it has celebrity couple on there um, that was getting a divorce. And she said to me, mom, is this a good divorce or a bad divorce? What an interesting question from a child at age seven. And I said, Grace, I don't know. What's a good, what's the difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce? She goes, well, good divorce is when the mommy and daddy are nice to each other, like being daddy. And the bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, Grace, it's hard to tell from a magazine cover. 
um, what type of divorce that is. But um, I, I walked out of the CVS that day, Karen, and I thought, whatever my ex-husband and I were doing, you know, in fairness, we got divorced when she was seven. This was a year later. So she was eight. I said, uh, whatever we're doing, and I was having this conversation with myself, we need to keep doing it because mm-hmm. that she could use that phrase and explain what it meant to her, said that we were on the right path. Absolutely. So it was a it was a very poignant moment for me. And I'm guessing whoever was on the front cover of that magazine, the story was about some dirty, nasty, terrible divorce. Because we all know if it bleeds, it leads. And and this is part of the language that we're trying to change in the narrative because through media, through television, through film, the the primary story that we get is that divorce is destructive. And it does not have to be that way. So one family at a time, we are shifting into a different kind of consciousness. So thank you, Grace, for recognizing as a young (laughs) child, there is a difference between a good divorce and a bad divorce. And you get to choose, listeners. You actually get to choose and design your life from that decision-making point. But oh, just the decision itself. And anyone out there who thinks, oh, they're just taking the easy way out. Well, they haven't really thought that, well, they just want to move. No. Most of us who are on the post-divorce journey will say it is one of the most difficult and you resist the decision for much longer than probably we should. Most of us stay too long and we do more harm to the family unit. I'm wondering if you would be willing to talk a little bit about that early decision-making and announcing and really coming to terms with this part of your story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. I, I will, I will definitely reflect on that, but one of the things that that struck me as I was thinking through this over the years was, you know, when a couple gets divorced and the children involved, the stakes are so high, you know, yes. and, and I wanted to make sure in, in, that grace wasn't collateral damage in this. So even though, you know, we had decided to no longer be married, you know, the commitment we've made to Grace was that we were going to bring her up in a healthy, happy environment, you know, and I, I, I kind of joke, you know, we covered the plugs when she was young, we put bike helmet on her, you know, we fed her organic milk, you know, we do these things for our children to keep them, yes, safe. To keep them safe, and, safe and happy and, to and healthy. best, healthy, right? Yeah. And then, but the toxicity that can come from a divorce can have such long-term impact in terms of children's approach to relationships, their view on marriage, and their overall happiness in life. And so I really felt, and as we were going down this path, that it was a responsibility we had to take co-parenting seriously with the intent of having a good divorce. So literally starting the process saying, I, I want to do it differently. And I should say, Karen, you know, I grew up, my parents are amazing. They just celebrated their 55th wedding anniversary. And other than, and just such a true picture of partnership, but I had grown up seeing a number of their friends have very, very ugly divorces. Mm. My mental model as an individual was the ugly divorce. Okay. Right. So I really stop and reflect on what was this going to be for us and, and how were we going to go down this path to be different than what I had observed as a child. And so that was really a very conscious effort in it. And I, I do think it starts with the mindset and an approach that, you know, you're going to set aside the personal feelings you have for the other person and really focus on what was best for Grace. And so that's what my ex-husband and I talked about. And I said, I, I do think there's a way to do this where we can all be happy on the other end of this. And let's, let's figure that out. 
Yeah. And to be clear, a good divorce is not synonymous with an easy divorce. It is still hard and it's painful and it's a death and a grief. So we're not dismissing that, but we're recognizing that where you begin is often where you end and how you begin. And you talk about this mindset and it's one of the very, very first things we get in in the guidebook um, to the good divorce. And so for you, what was some of the things that specifically you'd have to do or advice you would give to our listeners around this idea of mindset and setting the stage? Yeah. Well, I think the mindset for me, first of all, mindset is so essential. You know, it is. And so really starting with, if, if this is where you are, Okay, and, and you know where you need to get to the, the, the day-to-day actions that you take, how you interact with your either about to be ex-spouse or, or soon to be ex-spouse, how you talk about or don't talk about things out in the world, you know, what you say to your child or don't say to your child. I think one of the things I say one of the, the thing that links to the mindset and I talk about it in the book is building a compartmentalization muscle. Yes, let's talk about that muscle. This is super tangible. So here's the thing. I'm a big fan of Pilates. So I I love doing Pilates and building, you know, a strong core. And but I do think one of the most important muscles we we need in life, not just if you're going through divorce, is a compartmentalization muscle. And that's where there are moments when you're going to have a moment that might trigger emotions for you. And you have to decide: is that the moment that you need to let the emotion show? You know, if your children are around, if your your ex spouse is there and they they're trying to push your button and you let them see that you push they pushed your button, or do you say, you know what, I'm going to set that aside right now. I'm going to have that emotion, but not right now because it's also not good just to internalize everything. It's not healthy, but to build that muscle so that when you need it, when those moments happen, you can make the decision of whether you're going to show that emotion at that time and let it be a moment that either you allow to pass and you get through it. Or it's a moment your children remember, your ex-spouse remembers, a teacher remembers, whatever the case, because you reacted and showed more emotion than maybe you needed to at the time. And so you have to build the muscle, by the way. This isn't, it doesn't just naturally happen. You have to practice. And some days you you might not, the muscle might not work, you know, and you're like, oh. And so those days then you have to say, okay, that, I, I don't want that situation to happen again. I want to, I want to flex that muscle a little bit more and and basically, I do think it's all about protecting your children from those moments that they don't necessarily need as part of their, excuse me, memory as children. Like, I just don't think that should be a fabric, part of the fabric of their childhood, if you can help it. That's right. And that emotional hijacking, and it's going to happen, and we're going to be triggered, mm-hmm. and we're going to have strong emotions, mm-hmm. and being able, like the power of the pause, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> you can decide. I'm not. It's not going to be beneficial to finish that conversation right now. We're going to do it tomorrow or in a couple of days or that email that I just wrote that is filled with vitriol. Mm -hmm. Send it to your coach, send it to your therapist, your girlfriend. Do not send it to your former spouse. You might need to write it, right? There are big emotions through this process. And I'm remembering a quote from Krista Tippett. Um, She says, anger is so often what pain and suffering looks like when it shows up in public. That's exactly right. And there is going to be pain and suffering. So building that muscle and saying, we're not dismissing it. We're going to honor it, but we're going to pick and choose to the best of our ability um, when we're in that reactive mode and being able to have shoe boxes rather than one big shoe bag is (laughs) useful in life. Yes. Yeah. And there are times when you're going to need, you you may want to 
stew in those reflections, right? You may, but then choose those. Like I, I always say, go for long walks. You know, I, I, a long walk can help you reflect. Can You might cry in that walk. You might yell out in the woods in that walk, you know, whatever you need to do. But mm. I think creating the space for you also to process the emotions is important, whether it is by yourself, with a therapist, with a friend. But um, in the moment when your children are around and are, and are watching everything you're doing, um, and they're taking very much note of, of how you're reacting to things. That's that's the important part when that muscle hopefully can can be strong. Yes. And speaking of therapists, yeah. I, I'm trained as a therapist. Mm-hmm. Sarah and I are both very. It's like having your physical therapist. If you got a bad hip, go get it taken care of. And in your case, you're also a strong proponent for our children to have an opportunity for someone to be in their court exclusively. Can you say a little bit more about why you support therapy and the sort of benefits that you can see for parent and child? Yeah. So I think for both. So I'm a big believer. I went through lots of therapy over the course of time. And also when we decided that we were going to tell Grace we were getting divorced, we found a child specialist who focused on divorce, actually, um, within the area where we lived. And we sat down with him. And before we took Grayson to talk to him about the decision we're making. And um, I think that having someone that your child knows they can go to and talk to over the course of time is so beneficial for them. So Grace, again, was seven when we got divorced. So she went to see him for a number of months. And then interestingly enough, then she said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Um, but then a couple of years later, we were at, we were on spring break together and, and she, was a, she was about nine, about two years later. And she looked over to a family, a couple tables over from us at dinner. And she goes, they're a real family. They're a real family. Yes. And I said, yeah. And I said, Grace, what does that mean? She said, well, they have a mommy and a daddy and a sister and a brother. And she's an only child in premise. And I'm thinking, well, you weren't ever going to have a sister or brother. But but I said, well, we're a real family. You know, and she said, and she, she shook her head. And so I went back and actually I wrote to the child specialist and said, hey, we had this interaction and this is what I said to her. And he said, you know what? He said, you shouldn't have told her she was wrong. That mm-hmm. is her perception at this stage of what a real family looks like. She will learn over the course of time that families come in many shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. And so after that trip, I did ask her, "Go, would you like to go back? We called him Mr. David. I said, would you like to go back and see Mr. David? Again, she goes, yeah, I'd like to go talk. And I said, okay. So she went back for a couple sessions to kind of process things at that age. And then what I, I feel is the gift in that moment is that she knows there's someone there. She doesn't need to see him every week for you know years on end, but she understands that there's someone that she can go talk to. She can express her thoughts and feelings and emotions to who's going to listen to her, you know, from a very unique angle and help her think through things. That's right. And it's what I call the therapeutic tune-up. Absolutely. Just like my my physical therapist who helped me with my bad shoulder, it might flare up again in the future and I might have to go back for some additional support and treatment. Absolutely. And just, and again, also taking the shame and the stigma around all of our mental health. It is no different than our other sorts of physical and spiritual health. So please embrace it, listeners. You will, you will benefit and allow your children to have that access as well. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. 
Well, we are going to head into a short break, um, and I, and and then we're going to dive into some very specific tool building with Sarah Armstrong, joining us today from the Bay Area, author to The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. When we come back, we'll talk about how to talk to our children about this big life adjustment. Stay tuned. Before you call the lawyer, call the Good Divorce Coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we are continuing our rich conversation with Sarah Armstrong. She is the author and proponent of The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. This is a beautiful guidebook that will give you very tangible tools as you build out your own good divorce. Sarah is here also on the other side of her own good divorce. Daughter Grace was seven when the separation and divorce took place. She is now in college. So you have gone through all of these different stages and we want to hear more about what built your good divorce. Welcome back to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me, Karen. So great to be here. Do you remember that indelible moment in the conversation, um, the conversation we all want to avoid? We don't want to tell our children this truth. And um, and so some of us are probably pretty unskilled at it. We don't even rehearse. We don't think about it. I have lots of clients who just call and say, Karen, we have to tell our kids. I'm like, well, that's not the first thing you're going to do. You have a lot of other things to do before that conversation, including getting really clear about what, where, when, which is one of the chapters in the guidebook. Determine how, when, where, what to tell your children. What advice do you have us for us, for us Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, well, I think it does start with, you know, um, the the right timing of telling your child, like both in terms of the time of year, what where are they in their life, you know, and are trying to avoid holidays or close to their birthday or things, because it is a moment they will always reflect on. You know, that's right. Day, it is a it is a it is a day that they will never forget. And so making sure just from a timing standpoint that it, it's going to be a day that can stand on its own and isn't associated with another special time you want them to be celebrating is, is an important piece. I think also where you do it, you know, in a, in a comfortable place that they feel comfortable in um, where depending on the emotion that they choose to show in that moment, that they can have that, they can have that moment. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I think that was, that's always important. And then, you know, how you and your ex-spouse are going, are you doing it together? Are you doing it individually? Um, we chose to do it together and tell grace together in our home. And then interesting thing is depending on the age of the child, you know, the reaction you're going to get 
is potentially very different. And Grace was seven. So once we told her that this decision had been made and what we're going to do, you know, and, and actually the therapist that we had gone to see prior to get some counsel on this said, you know, she's going to process, but you might not get the full reaction right away. And so she kind of listened to us and then she goes, can I go upstairs and play now? Like she, she wanted to kind of <laughs> take the information, know, take the information and, and go process for herself. So I think depending on the child in the moment, there's just, you have to be prepared for various scenarios that could unfold in terms of the reaction, but allowing them to be in a place where whatever that reaction that they can, that they can process it and be in a comfortable spot, I think is so important. Absolutely. And this thoughtfulness of graduation and holidays, but then also what time during the week? Are we headed into a weekend where they have time? Is it right before bed? Probably not. Is it right before they leave for the birthday party? No, like, and you'd be amazed how we underestimate the importance of this announcement. It is an indelible moment. And even if you have children who are of different ages, I recently worked with a client and they have a 15-year-old and an eight-year-old. Those are going to need very different things. Absolutely. And so they chose to first take their older child and have one-on-one time with them. That would be an age-appropriate conversation. And then big brother joined little brother when they shared it together so they would have the support. But knowing that different questions are going to come up, I also remind um, clients, answer the question being asked. Don't start filling in all of the adult issues that you're dealing with and don't burden your children with those adult problems. Yes. Yeah. They, I don't think that kids need to know a lot of those details. I don't think they're prepared emotionally um, to, to know potentially the details that you might feel you need to share. Mm-hmm. Um, and another important part of it, Karen, is, is building that support network around your children in advance of them knowing. So Uh, Let's unpack that because I think this is often forgotten and we talk about the galaxy of support that that surrounds your child, which includes grandparents, neighbors, auntie, uncles, parents of their bestie friends, teachers, counselors. How would you go about and and what do you share? Because most of her like, I don't want to send out a press release. No, I know. I think it's it's such a such a delicate thing, but I think five identifying that core crew that you know you want to, them to be there for your children and then sharing with them the, the the decision that's been made and what you're telling your child about the divorce so they know the messaging that you're using and so they're not speculating or or trying to build on it's just like this is what has been shared and i do think you know the the date the interesting thing for us grace was the first of her age group and her friends to to have parents getting divorced so it was also new you know, new to that age group. So really making sure that we could um, share with those around her that might be like, oh, this, you know, this is, this is a strange occurrence. We don't, you know, I don't know anyone else, with, you know, who has parents that are divorced. So I wanted to make sure that the, to your point, the parents of her friends knew um, so that they could help their children process this news. And so that was very important. So it is, but it takes time. And I don't think to your point, I don't think it's emailing out something. I do think where you can have a brief conversation with the individuals that you want to be part of that support network. So you can also answer their questions and make sure that they have whatever understanding you're wanting to build helps to build a really solid foundation for that that support system for your kids moving forward. 
And as you said, particularly with Grace, she was kind of a standalone experience. And young children, they, I think often then they may go home with that information and have their own fears or concerns that their parents might get divorced. And, and if those parents don't know that message is coming, then they cannot prepare for it. So this is incredibly generous and thoughtful. And I often consider, you know, if there had been a death of a, a spouse, a parent or grandparent, even a pet, we would probably let teachers know and school counselor know that our child is, you know, going through a hard time, is a little more emotional. Well, this is one of the most traumatic events that can happen to any of us in the divorce story. And we don't have to make it a capital T trauma. It can be a small T trauma, right. but do not underestimate the impact that it has on your family, and all of those that surround your family. Absolutely. Absolutely. A few guidelines in terms of the messaging itself. So we're, we're thinking about the timing. We're thinking about the location. We're thinking about the preemptive. Can you tell Sarah is the vice president of global marketing operations at Google? And I, I say that with great revere because so often this is project management and communication rollout. We have to get a little bit linear in order to help the success to the good divorce. So in terms of messaging, what are guidelines that you would share with us? Yeah, no, it's great. And I, I do agree that managing your divorce from beginning end is a, is a project that you have to really almost take that mindset with. Um, you know, from a messaging standpoint, I think being brief Yes. Being clear and being um, fact-based as much as you can with what you're wanting to share. Um, but also, in fairness, I think tailoring the message depending on, on, on who you're talking to so that they can have the right context to help in the support that's needed. So, you know, I, I do think there's there's different messaging depending on the kind of groups you're talking about. But consistency of message is also important. So that um, your child isn't hearing different things from different people. Um, so it is it is an interesting thing to go through that. But I think being very conscious of what you're telling your child and what you're telling the, those around your children about the reasons and how and how things are going to unfold afterwards is also important. So that everyone kind of understands the timing and and when this is becoming a reality. And and to your point, then those individuals can what be watching out for your child in those moments that it's, there's some big transition points coming. That's right. You may actually have a conversation with the grandparents and the school teachers and the three babysitters before you even sit down with your child. Oh, we did. Yeah. Yes. As did we. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Grace knew. And then we, when then we told her and, and in fairness, we were in a situation where we were telling her, but then, um, I was staying in the home with Grace and, and her dad was moving out, but he didn't move out for another six weeks. Like we gave it some time, you know, we, we wanted some time where it wasn't just like, Oh, and, and dad's leaving tomorrow, you know, and like so, the disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so again, it's a matter of what, what, what works for you. And in the situation and every situation, every divorce is different. So mm -hmm. you have to just think for the dynamics that you are dealing with both with your ex spouse, with your children, what is the best plan, but it is a plan. And then you really work hard to execute that plan to the best of your ability, knowing it's a highly emotional time for everyone. But I think grounding yourself in the steps you think you need to take allows you to get through it. You know, because the hard part about divorce, as you know, Karen, is, you know, it, it, it's something you have to get through. And it, yes. it is. It's one of the hardest things you're going to go through in life. But you will get through it. But I think putting the plan in place so you can get through it with 
as little as I mentioned earlier, collateral damage as possible in your life and the child's life is the most important part. So you so that you can yeah. get past it and then live the happy, healthy life that you're meant to live because you've made this decision to be happier in, you know, a future state. Beautiful. I think a hallmark as well, and, and you touch on this in your book, The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, um, is that unification of message that if both parents can come together, uh, I was just coaching a client and they said, we're going to go talk to our parents, right? The grandparents. And we're going to make it very clear that this isn't one of us doing something to the other. We have arrived at this decision together and we're choosing to not speak poorly about each other in our public sphere because it is also our child's story and we protect that. So we're asking the same of you, even if you have you're happy that your in-laws are becoming your outlaws. There is a, a delicacy of managing that message. Absolutely. Absolutely. Even to the point, at least in our situation, like I didn't want people picking sides. Right. Friends, you know, I was like, you don't need to pick sides. You can stay friends with both of us. I, so I, I think then again, giving people that permission, because in the traditional mindset of divorce, you know, picking sides is part of it. And I'm like, I don't want people to have to pick sides. You know, my ex-husband has spent birthday dinners with my parents and Grace, where we all get together for the birthday dinner, because that's what Grace deserves. She deserves to have her grandparents and her dad and her mom at a birthday dinner. So, you know, but, but those are moments you have to make, again, these are conscious decisions to um, maybe do it differently than, than how people would perceive it um, to unfold. But we are changing that perception. Like, yes, why wouldn't we all be able to get together and have a celebration? Yes. We have couples on the show who go on vacation together. Yes. They may not be sharing anything that looks like a marital life or marital bedroom, nor should they. That's right. equally confusing for your child. Right. But, oh, all the relatives are in Chicago. So we will all travel there at the same time. So we can see all the aunties and uncles and cousins. Yeah. And we can be collaborative in our post-divorce relationship in the same way that we were having to collaborate in our married co-parenting yeah. relationship. Yeah. And actually, one of the moments that really struck, stuck out for me during our, our post-divorce phase, Raising Grace Together, is we went to a parent-teacher conference when she was in sixth grade. So five years after our divorce and we walk in, it's an hour conference um, with her teacher. And, and in this school, Grace, the, the child attends the parent teacher conference with the parents. So Grace is there. My ex-husband and I are there. We sit down with the teacher. We get through this almost hour long discussion. At the end of the discussion, the teacher looks at us and she goes, wait a minute, are you two divorced? <laughs> and I said, yes, we got divorced five years ago. She said, I had no idea. Awesome. And I, and I said to her, well, it didn't occur to me to walk in here and, and in advance of sitting down for Grace's parent-teacher conference, say, hi, we're divorced. Can we now talk about Grace's education? And, you know, she looked at me, she said, you would be shocked at how few divorced couples can come into this office yeah. and sit for one hour with their child and talk about their child's education. She said, it is very, very rare. Yes. She goes, it really makes me sad. And I said to her, that makes me really sad. What's more important to parents than sitting down with a teacher that's teaching their child and hearing how your child is doing in school? And so, by the way, Grace is hearing this whole discussion. 
Yes. And, um, and I said, you know, that just makes me sad. I, I would like to think that parents could set aside, again, going back to our, you know, the definition of a good divorce, set aside the emotions for each other and put their child first and say, what's important right now is to go learn about you know, the education. Otherwise, by the way, those kids in divorce have to go to two parent-teacher conferences. Mm. The, the teacher has to do two parent-teacher conferences for the one family. It's like, what, why does that have to happen? You know, now there, I will say, Karen, there are instances where people are not able to be in the same physical space that's right. together, you know, and I want to recognize that in those instances, respectfully, that's then what should happen. But those should be the exception, not the that's, rule. I couldn't agree more. And the fact that this teacher said how rare it was really just struck me as, wow, we're, we're still there. That, that's how people think they have to act. It's how they think they have to act, right? Like we're not supposed to carry on. We're supposed to be enemies. And I know when I sat in this truth, I'm like, I cannot be enemies with the father of my children. Yeah. And and he is a beautiful human and a wonderful father. I yeah. just can no longer be married to him inside the same home, yeah. but we can renovate the family so that we can still continue to parent and become better versions of ourself, which Absolutely. I think, as you said, you're happy. You can be yeah. happily divorced. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't have to stay miserable. No, it's interesting, Karen. I once had, I had someone in the not too distant past said to me that I make divorce look too good. Oh, yeah, a little divorce envy. Yeah, and I was mm. like, oh, I, I said, yeah. I'm trying. I said, I'm just trying to live a really happy life. You know, right? That I'm divorced is, you know, an action that was taken 14 years ago, almost 14 years ago, and yes, it's part of my history, but I don't think it defines you know, who I am or who Grace is and what her life needs to look like because that action was taken. Yes. And you really make that distinction in your writing. Divorce doesn't have to be an identity. It's a verb. It's a thing yes. we did. Yes. I got a driver's license. I yes. got a divorce. Yes. I got a new dog. These yes. are actions I've taken and they impact my life, but they are not the defining beginning and end of who I am. Not at all. Not at all. But I did have a funny moment recently where I went to the dentist and on the forum, they asked for status and it said single, married, divorced, and other. And I said, why does my dentist need to know that I'm divorced? <laughs> I ask this all the time. It comes up all the time on forms. I'm like, I, I know. why does it matter? I'm either single, you're either single or married as far as I can tell. So I was like, uh-huh. I said, interesting. And so, you know, but it's just, it's those moments. There's those little micro moments of life where there's a, there's a label, you know, right. people want to give you. And, you know, it is, it is, again, part of my history, but I don't think it needs to, to be the front and center. You don't need to wear it every day. Mm -hmm. Well, going back to this conversation with the kids, yeah. one of the big questions that I think the kids come up with is, well, it's why, and can we just remind all of our listeners that if you're getting asked, why are you getting divorced? I'm sorry. <laughs> and if you're a family member, like this is an impossible question to answer. It's private. It's precious. I never ask it on the show and it's not the right thing, but our children sometimes are going to ask the why. Do you have some thoughts about how we can help them understand through a child perspective of how two adults came to this courageous decision and to navigate the worst question ever. Why are you getting divorced? Yeah. I mean, I think it's for you and your ex-spouse to think about what framing you want to put against that answer, depending on the situation at hand. And what I generally say is, you know, less is more. 
for your children. That's right. Depending on the age, they don't need to know all the details because there generally are some details of, of some form or fashion that could be shared. But whether they should be shared, I think that's questionable. Mm-hmm. And so I just think it's being very careful about what you two want to share at that moment when the why question comes up. Um, you know, and I think I, you know, generally say to people like focus on what where you're wanting to go versus what happened in the past, that you're looking to make changes that make you and your ex-spouse happier. You want to create an environment for your children that is going to be healthy and happy and upbeat and positive and all the things. And there's maybe reasons why right now that's not as possible as it feels, but that's mm-hmm. what you're that's what you're looking ahead to versus reflecting more historically on, you know, the, that aspect of the why. Like looking ahead. Looking ahead. And setting the goals for what you think life can look like Mm -hmm. after this change occurs. Beautiful. The other question that comes up is, are we moving? Where What's happening to the house? What will my life look like? And you have some really beautiful guidelines in the book around recreating space for our children and some do's and and don'ts around creating these new homes. Yeah, it's interesting because when you um, decide to um, have your child live across two households, obviously now in our instance, just to give some context, I was staying in the house, my ex-husband's moving, but we were obviously going to be divvying up a lot of things. And so I talk in my book about minimizing the gaps because when one when, when child is going to stay in one home for portions of the time and it's a home that you know was put together in a certain way, and when you start having to pull things out of that home, what does that look like and feel like? So um, I share a story that still sticks with me. We had a long hallway of black and white family photos of both my ex-husband and my family interspersed in these really beautiful frames. And I decided to, uh, again, as part of my project, to um, have other photos framed. And then one day I sent Grace down the street for a play date. And I took the pictures of my ex-husband and put them uh, in a box for him. And then I put new pictures up and I put it all away. And then about an hour later, Grace came home. And again, uh, I was standing in the kitchen and I heard this little voice from the hallway say, hey, mom. And I go, what's that, Grace? She goes, the wall has changed. Mm-hmm. And I literally stopped in my tracks, Karen. And I said, well, what's changed? She said, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room. Yeah. And what I reflect on is, you know, if I had not taken the time to reframe pictures and put them up there and just had taken her father's pictures off the wall and left those little hangers interspersed throughout that hallway, mm-hmm. Grace would be telling a therapist years from now that my parents got a divorce. My mom took all the pictures of my dad and his family off the wall and she left those little hangers. Yeah. She removed my father from our family home. Yeah. I even recommend to clients that you should somewhere again, oh, yeah. when appropriate, oh, yeah have photos of the other parent in an appropriate place in the home yeah. for the child. Absolutely. So in our house, in Grace's room, I'm more big into photos. There was a whole wall of, of family photos in that, in that state. That was her, her, her room. So it had her dad, her grandparents, her aunt and uncle, like all of those interspersed with my family. And that wall of photos was absolutely there until we moved out of that house when she headed off to college. And so I totally agree that there's, there's space for that. Um, and it's important. It's that's their family. You know, you, you don't get to erase that side of the family just because you decided to no longer be married to your ex-spouse. 
That's right. It's still family and it is still a family home. What a, a really tangible tool to think about. And when you are shifting homes, even that subtle time of like, well, she's out of the house in a play date. Um, when the, the the couches become one couch instead of two, the day of transition moving out, I really try to encourage people to find um, an alternative for the kids, depending on age, and that the homes can be re-nested over that time so that children don't walk in and feel like there was just a robbery in yes. my home and totally agree. all yeah. these gaps. Yeah. And especially when they're big gaps, like if there was a, a piece of art over the living room mantle and that's that has left, like put a mirror, put something, <laughs> just leaving that gap is just a very visible, visible representation of their world a bit being pulled apart. Right. And so I think it's a really important. Um, and again, that takes effort. And then again, this goes back to like the, the divorce has so many things you have to think about, but the physical environment and creating a space where they feel comfortable and safe and doesn't feel like it's being pulled apart is an important part of it. And also for those of you listening that might be staying in the marital home, really encouraging you to make a ritual of shifting that space. And even if, you know, not all of us have resources to go buy new furniture, but hit the TJ Maxx and get new sheets for your marital bed. Something that really feels like I am reclaiming this space because you are living with the ghosts of the marriage for who knows how long. Um, and sometimes homes kind of hold us hostage, the real estate world. We can't always both move out or transition. Some end up nesting for an extended period of time. So thinking about creating a space for you that also feels like a reinvention. Totally. Yes. And I definitely did. Our, my living room, I treat, I, you know, again, with within limitations financially, but recreated as much my girlfriends called it the spa room. You know, it was, it was very, it kind of had this like spa, like, you know, come in and we would nestle in and, you know, drink glasses of wine and, and, you know, solve the world's problems. So yeah, I definitely did that when we, when we uh, had that shift. Beautiful. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk about the other element of becoming a family that lives across two homes, which is that your children for most of us are shifting and how we prepare them to become kind of professional traveling packers and that we can make the impact of living in two homes as slight as possible. Your children did not choose this. We did. And any of us can admit at at bare minimum, it's complicated and inconvenient. So what do we need to do as parents to help all of us in that process? When we get back, continuing our conversation with Sarah Armstrong, author and good divorce proponent, stay tuned. Before you call the lawyer, call the good divorce coach. Give your family the gift of working with a certified divorce coach, a co-parenting specialist, and a mediator. Karen McNinney has the knowledge and skills to guide you through the full divorce journey, before, during, and after. It's one thing to get divorced. It's another to be divorced. The Good Divorce Coach will teach you and your partner how to be divorced with less drama, less destruction, and less debt. Visit thegooddivorcecoach.com to get in touch with Karen. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
Welcome back to The Good Divorce Show with Karen McNinney. Have a question for Karen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now, back to the show with Karen. Thanks for staying with us, listeners. We're chatting today with Sarah Armstrong, who happens to be Vice President of Global Marketing Operations at Google. But more importantly, she is a warrior mama of the good divorce experience and literally has written the book. And today we are going through the guidebook. And what I love is that this book really is written for the busy parent. You can, can you hear me? It's like the wheel of wisdom. Do you, page after page, there's one idea per page. It's very accessible. It takes us before, during, and after the experience. So you might come across things like um, think about what makes you feel good, taking care of yourself afterwards, being social, girls' night tradition, the dating scene, how we use social media with our children. There's sections on absent co-parenting, creating the two homes. We're going to talk about that. Allowances, travel, how do we discipline across two homes? And then there's the very practical things about taxes and finances and rebuilding your budget. Again, getting divorce is one micro moment in this whole story. And the legal field, although I don't love that divorce has become a legal, it is first a family event, not a legal event. However, once that part is done, there is a whole other journey for your family and most of us, as you said early on, Sarah, we don't get married with the intent to get divorced. And we're like, I, we don't know how to do this. And we're banging around in the dark, making lots of mistakes, pick up the book and the guidelines. So thank you. And welcome back, Sarah, for writing the book. Oh, thank you so much, Karen. So great to be with you. Let's talk about something that I have found in our 12 years of being a family that lives across two homes, just the complexity of gear and communication and the logistics of being a two-household family. What best practices come to mind? Yeah, well, it's interesting because when we were heading down this path and we went to see that child specialist that I mentioned earlier, he uh, it was without grace, the first discussion, and he looked at me and goes, Sarah, do you travel? And I said, yeah, I, I travel internationally for my job. And he looked at my husband and said, do you travel? And he said, yeah, I travel domestically. And he said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she heads off to college. And Karen, I burst into tears. Yes, the pain of recognizing that moment of bursting into tears that you have now asked your child to become an international business person who is going to have a bag packed <laughs> to yeah. some degree. It is, it is a heartbreaking truth. So how do you make it easier? Right. So, so I walked out of there that day and I looked at my ex-husband and I said, I want to do everything we can to minimize Grace feeling like she has to pack a bag every week. And I don't want her to feel like a professional traveler. So what that looks like, and I do appreciate there's some socioeconomic considerations in what I'm going to say, but what we tried to do is have the basics at both homes you know, the socks, the underwear, the jeans, pajamas, everything, so that the only thing Grace had to take between homes was her backpack from school with her books, you know, her laptop, whatever the case is, and, you know, not have to show up at school every week with a bag to say, oh, I, you know, I'm a child of divorce. I have this bag. I, I get to go to mom's house or dad's house tonight. And so now, interestingly, when you, when you do try this approach of having the basics of both homes. There are times when things get out of balance. 
somehow, I literally don't know how, all the socks end up at one house. Like I, It's I, so I, true. I, and I don't know how that happens. I'm it, actually not. <laughs> but every now and then you have to re-equalize the yes. wardrobe. We had, mm-hmm. so we had, we had rebalancing moments. And so I would text my ex-husband. And by the way, this was very much something I said to him. I said, look, when we rebalance, it's not Grace's job to rebalance. That's right. I go, she did not choose to live across two homes. We did this. We made this decision. So I would text him, say, it's time to rebalance. Can you look? Because I don't have any. So then one of us would package up the things and then we would bring it and hand it to the other. Again, it's not for Grace to have mm-hmm. to, like, again, have another bag she's carrying. Not her, again, not her responsibility. So we really took that seriously. And, you know, the only thing that I will say is that the things that are special that you're only going to buy one of, like the dressy shoes or the the special dress for dress up day or or the Grace, ski gear well, in our case, Grace, or yeah, the bike. Grace, or... Yeah, and Grace played golf. So she had golf clubs that were only having one set of, you know, but, you know, there were moments when, you know, Grace, I will never forget, Grace came down one morning. She goes, Mom, it's dress up day and my shoes are at dad's. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, now we're racing to get to school. And as a parent, you have to stop and say, okay, so I took a deep breath. Again, not Grace's fault that her dress up shoes are at dad's. I said, you know what? Now, in fairness, in our instance, my ex husband lived less than 10 minutes away. I said, Let's go to dad's. We'll go get the dress up shoes. But I didn't need to give her a hard time. Like, Grace, why are your shoes? You know, why didn't you think of this beforehand? And can't you keep track of all your stuff? And this is an annoyance. Do not Not. put that on your child, not their responsibility, not their choice. And it is hard to keep track of all your stuff across two households. It really is. It really is. And so I think um, we did what we could. And I do think it made made a difference. But I will tell you one interesting reflection. Um, When Grace was heading off to college, um, she came home one day from her dad's and she said, mom, I'm, I'm really excited. Um, and I said, what's that? She said, well, I'm calling this the great consolidation. Oh, yes. And I said, what is, what does that mean? And she said, well, when I have head off to college, it'll be the first time in 11 years that all my stuff is in one place. We just had that same conversation in our household and it, and all these years later, it still yeah, hurt my heart. It hurt, it hurt. It hurt my heart. But I, what I said to Grace, I said, Grace, I have to tell you, you have never once complained about living across two households. Not in 11 years have you said a word. I said, I am so happy that you get to go to college and have all of your stuff in one place. In one I go, place. I go, you so deserve that. And thank you for being so amazing for all these years of going back and forth between dad and my house. I know that wasn't easy, but she never once complained. She never once said, you know, why do I have to do this? Or I don't like, so I, but that moment for her, for her to be able to articulate the great consolidation just showed me that even though she was handling it well, and I put, use well in air quotes, that the, you are asking your child to live across two homes. And there are, there are, there are considerations of that. So whatever we can do to minimize that feeling um, is so important. Absolutely. And I also appreciate the, the component that you're talking about in terms of the duplicity and trying to make sure that they have what they need. And we always say, well, kids are resilient just because they're doing what's required of them. Doesn't mean that it's easy. Don't take that for granted. No, right. Mm -hmm. And I think, they can, they can, they are resilient. They can adjust to a point, but what you, whatever we can do to make that where the adjustment is, is, um, is manageable. Right. Yeah. And that it's the parents who are shuffling things back and forth. Absolutely. And, and again, we know it's not always possible, but I do encourage clients to think about proximity when you're considering your relocation plan. It's 
going to make a difference because there are going to be fancy shoes, instruments, football cleats. Where are they? We need to get them. Can we run over? And if you are in closer proximity, it will be easier for everyone. Real estate doesn't always allow us to do that, but certainly take it under consideration if you can. Absolutely. Totally agree. And in fact, you and your former spouse made an intent that you would stay in the same school district, in the same city for your daughter again. And then once she graduated, there was not only the great consolidation, there was the great escape. (laughs) There was the great escape. Yes. We've all left Atlanta all at once. Um, Yes. So we all, um, I moved to San Francisco, Grace headed Seattle and Max's husband is living up in Michigan um, and then um, in, in the Southeast. So yes, it was um, it was a conscious choice we did make in fairness to stay close so we could raise grace together, but knowing that someday we would, um, we would potentially all head to different parts of the country. So that's what we've done. Did you have, and you're still family. Yes, absolutely. And you know, with my ex-husband and I did take grace to college and help her move into her dorm room together. And we actually went out to dinner that night um, and celebrated launching her, you know, into the world. Um, and, you know, that that was a moment because uh, there was, you know, reflecting on all that had transpired. But we were very proud of her and happy to be able to share that moment with her. And, you know, and we invited, funny, we invited her to dinner, but she wanted to hang out with her new friends, which is right, rightfully <laughs> perfect. So. so I said, okay, well, Dad, now go to dinner. So I think it's one of those um, moments as parents that, you know, of, of a divorce situation, when you can do that, it, it is, uh, it's rewarding. And that you and your former spouse can go to dinner and celebrate and have a, a conversation as two people who, reminding you there was a love story, Absolutely. right? Grace Absolutely. came from love. There Absolutely. was a connection. And just because it's complete doesn't mean that the family died. Just yeah. the marriage is complete. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Reflecting back again on this idea that the good divorce is not necessarily an easy divorce and that year of firsts, all the first holidays, those first lonely nights when your child is sleeping somewhere else, help our listeners to better understand how they can navigate that first sort of dreadful year of divorce for many of us. Yeah, I think it's one of the hardest years because to your point, there's things, there were traditions that might that you either want to maintain and it might not feel right to maintain or you maintain them and they feel okay or you try them and they are they're not <laughs> they're not going to work and awkward so, hard you know, awkward, uncomfortable hard, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and to your point it could be the birthday it could be the summer vacation it could be how holidays are celebrated so what i recommend is you go through the year first and you do them the best you can um, because it is a really hard year but then from the learnings from a year first, you decide what you want to tweak in the next year um, because there might be things that you're like, okay, that actually worked pretty well. And others you're like, I'm not doing that again. And I will say, admittedly, I think the hardest part of divorce is, is um, splitting holidays. And uh, my first Thanksgiving without grace was really hard. And I was around my family and my nieces and nephews. And I made a decision after that experience that I wasn't going to do holidays without grace around my family because it was just felt strange. I mean, she wasn't there, but my nieces and nephews are there. And so, so I, I transitioned to a different model. So the, the holidays, I wasn't with her. I went and traveled. I have an amazing um, uh, companion partner in my life, um, who I lovingly refer to as my diversion because <laughs> we have fun and relax <laughs> together. And, but that's, we would, we would make um, plans. And um, so that's because I do think you really have to be honest with yourself of what, um, 
what is too if it's too hard where you're like this is taking me into a, a negative place of you know then you need to fix it and yep. so whatever those are um, but I, I do think you also form new family traditions um, post-divorce mm-hmm. and finding what those look like. And uh, we used to have a game night with a, one of my girlfriends who also actually had gone through divorce and her kids and we had monopoly nights with them and, you know, just different things that you might not have done in a, in a different situation that became part of that next phase. And what is it about the holidays? There can be such a melancholy. And you talk about this in the book, that they're loaded and and so liberating family tradition and yourself. Yes. It's almost like a phantom pain. When I heard you tell that story of Thanksgiving and being with other intact families, yes. it really reminds you that you're not. Yes. And so making a wise decision to not put yourself in those settings, to have the re-triggering and the pain. Um, you know, if, if it's a wound, stop scratching it. We need it to scar over Mm -hmm. and scars keep us whole. And they remind us that we've come through something difficult, but we actually do need to find a way to let it to scar over and stop picking at the scab. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the other thing I'd reflect on on holidays and birthdays and things is really being conscious of how you're helping your child through those in terms of gift giving and, you know, the, let's the, talk about this. Yeah. Yes. This is a big one. I mean, cause there was a, there's, you know, the, who buys the gift for your ex-spouse, you know, mm-hmm. who's wrapping the gift for your ex-spouse, how depending on the age of the child, you know, there's, these are all considerations. So, you know, I, you know, um, I really try to be thoughtful about, you know, Grace, what do you want to give to your dad? And okay, well, let's, let's go look for that. Or for some reason I couldn't then we had a nanny, I'd be like, could you go out with Grace and grab this? You know, so whether it's it's yourself, a nanny, a friend, a family member, but allowing your child to know that, you know, giving and receiving gifts is, is part of certain holidays that you can um, help them to still do that and not feel like that's yet another thing that they can't do normally just because you're in a divorce situation. And so, um, you know, whether it's, I mean, I, a lot of things I did, I framed a lot of Grace's art from school and, and gave it to my ex-husband. I thought that's a fun thing from her, you know, that then he could have and enjoy. So it just depends on what your situation is, but that is something to really think about because kids can feel a little bit like, I don't want to ask mom or dad to help me, but they aren't at a stage or age. where they can where do they it can on do their, it their own. own. Right. Right. And so it's so hard and it can be really a point of, you know, anxiety for them. So whatever you can do to help them think through that um, is, I think, an important, really important. important thought. And someone out there right now is thinking like, I am not going shopping for my ex mm-hmm. over my dead body. I would, I'm like, you're not doing it for yourself. You're helping your child do it for their parent. Yeah, exactly. And, and so when Father's Day or Mother's Day comes around, helping to escort the child towards success and, you know, dirty little confession here. I would call my ex and say, what do you want for Father's Day? And he's like, there's a great set of knives at the hardware store. I'll send you 40 bucks, go with the kids, go buy them, wrap them up and give them to me. I'm like, perfect plan. We did that for years and years and years. And the kids never knew that one, we were picking out our own gifts and paying for our own gifts from them to us. And then it became clear. And then they started having side jobs. But as much as we, when it was revealed and it was sort of a double take, like, wait a minute, (laughs) there was also this wonderful thank you. Thank you, parents, for setting your own stuff aside to help us be successful in all of our relationships. 
These are the sort of tips that are in Sarah's book, The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. I think there's now 185 distinct, right? Again, and very little of this has to do with the legal divorce proceedings. It is primarily about how to be a successful family that lives across two homes it is full of a wealth of information. Tell our listeners how they can find the book and you and additional resources as they seek their own good divorce. Great. Yeah, thank you. So yes, the book is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. It's um, available in a paperback, in an um, iBook, Kindle, Nook um, combination. And then I actually went into the studio and recorded an audiobook. So it's also available on Audible because I do appreciate that some people might not be ready to have the sitting on their bedside table um, and may want to also go out on a long walk and, and listen to, you know, certain topics at a given point. And to that end, um, Karen, there, the book was written with just the thought that you don't have, you're not meant to read it cover to cover. You know, you, you go in and, and pick the topics that are going to be helpful to you at the time and, and reflect on them and, and take maybe a topic or two and, I wrote it with um, a lot of white space in the in the paperback, and it was funny when I wrote it. The editor said to me, "You're wasting paper." <laughs> and I, she said, "You could put more topics on a page." I said, "No, the topics are for people to have space to reflect." And I said, "I'll be environmentally conscious in some other way, but I'm going I'm to keep to one topic per page." So it is meant to be there um, for you along the journey, and I just hope that your listeners can um, think through. Um, the details and know that a good divorce is an attainable outcome um, if you are thoughtful and really take the steps needed to put your kids first um, every step of the way. Thank you so much. Author and proponent of the good divorce, Sarah Armstrong, sharing her wisdoms today. I do encourage each and every one of you. And if you're not getting divorced, but you know someone who is, go get this book as a gift. And a reminder to all our listeners each and every week, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Good Divorce Show. We hope today's episode has helped you find a kinder, more sensible, and less expensive path through the divorce journey. Until we talk again, have a beautiful week. Oh, 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 oh,